Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. It's a joke, right? You're kidding me. Bernie Sanders says he's suspending his campaign. Bernie Sanders' campaign hasn't been real since 2016. Bernie Sanders was never going to get the nomination of the Democrat Party in 2016. He wasn't going to get it this year. He made a big deal about suspending his campaign. And is supposedly paving the way for the moderate wing of the Democrat Party to triumph once again with Joe Biden. There is no moderate wing of the Democrat Party. Anyway, greetings. Great to have you with us, my friends. Always great to be here. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB Network. And looking forward to chatting with you today. The telephone number is 800-282-2882. The email address, ilrushbow at... EIBnet.us. I mean, the media just going nuts. I guess it's because it's a different story. I guess it's because it has to do with politics and uh, nothing to do with the with the uh, coronavirus. But they're just going nuts over this. Fox Fox Business are giving Bernie Sanders uh, minutes and minutes and minutes to, 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 to espouse his socialist agenda here as he announced he's getting out. Suspending his campaign. Uh, look, uh, folks, I'm not exaggerating. He was never going to get the Democrat nomination. I don't know if he knows it or not, but they rigged it against him in 2016. He wasn't going to get it this year. And now, instead of paving the way for Biden, it's going to pave the way for somebody else. Because Biden is not, well, I can't say Biden's not going to be the nominee. I, I can see the Democrats wanting to nominate Biden and have some some kitchen coronavirus cabinet uh, behind Biden, actually pulling the strings, the levers of power, while Biden's out there as the as the figurehead, and it, it would allow the people actually running the Biden administration anonymity if they wanted it, so that they could exercise all kinds of him just a, just a, a placeholder. Um, so we we will we will see the hill.com Sanders drops out paving way for <laughs> I know they have to cover it that way but here we have known that Bernie Sanders was not going to get the nomination no matter what 
little pull quote here. Those early victories sent the moderate wing of the Democrat Party into a tailspin with centrists. But there aren't any. There really aren't any more. This is the this is I don't even think it's a big secret. Anyway, centrists scrambling to unify around an alternative to Sanders whose Democrat socialism they feared would prove an easy general election target for President Trump. Fears over a possible Sanders nomination helped thrust former New York Mayor Michael Doomberg into the primary. However, the crowded moderate lane that played to Sanders' advantage didn't last much longer. There isn't a moderate wing or lane, and it isn't crowded. Biden has endorsed everything crazy. He's a Green New Deal. Uh, Biden wants Bernie to be a pseudo-advisor. Anyway, this will all become front and center as time goes on. The uh, latest on the, on the uh, coronavirus, the, I guess it's, it's hard to put the stories here in a priority. But something that, you know, we did a morning update. We did a morning update. What was it? Was it was yesterday or the day before? It might have run today on the standing joke. The American media, whenever anything bad happens, women and minorities hardest hit. And now that's kind of changed to illegal immigrants hardest hit, illegal aliens hardest hit. But there was, you know, the old joke. God is looking at humanity and says, you know what, I've blown this. This is the biggest mistake I've ever made. I'm going to end the I'm going to I'm going to end the world. So he calls newspapers to announce he's going to end the world. Called USA Today, called the New York Times, called the uh, US uh, uh, Wall Street Journal. So he calls these newspapers and he says, "Hi, it's God here. Uh you've blown it. I'm 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 ending the world uh, 24 hours. It's over." So the New York Times headline, God says world to end tomorrow, women and minorities hardest hit. I mean, it was so, that's the joke. USA Today headline is we're done. Wall Street Journal, God says world to end tomorrow, markets are closed early. That's how the joke goes. Well, guess what? I've been waiting. I mean, for the coronavirus, I have been waiting for the racial component. Silently. Silently awaiting the racial component. And lo and behold, ladies and gentlemen, we now have the racial component. Washington Post, coronavirus is infecting and killing black Americans at an alarmingly high rate. So now we have a racial component to all of this, which is just going to confound the reporting. So here's the summary, and this is this is this is the way you're going to have to analyze this going forward. The coronavirus now hits uh, African Americans harder, harder than illegal aliens, harder than women. It hits African Americans harder than anybody. Disproportionate representation. So now, here's the thing: if you try, if you dare criticize. <laughs> the mobilization to deal with this, you're going to be immediately tagged as a racist. If you disagree with Fauci, if you disagree with Burks, if you disagree with any of the so-called experts advising us to do what we, you are going to be tagged a racist. And this is how they shut people down. 
This is how they, they, they stop criticism. You'd be a heartless SOB. You'd be a mean-spirited, extremist, wacko, racist. It was bound to happen. I'm surprised that it took so long. Here we go. And let me give you a pull quote here from even our esteemed Surgeon General. Name is Jerome Adams. He's 45 years old. Here's the, here's the quote from the Washington Post story. I've shared uh, myself personally. I have high blood pressure, that I have heart disease. I spent a week in, in intensive care due to a heart condition. I actually have asthma, and I'm pre-diabetic. And so I represent that legacy of growing up poor and black in America. He's the Surgeon General. He's the Surgeon General. He's climbed all the way up to Surgeon General of the United States, but he's now claiming to be unhealthy because of America. On Monday, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law and hundreds of doctors joined a group of Democrat lawmakers, including Senators Focahontas, Cory Booker, and Kamala Harris, in demanding that the federal government release daily race and ethnicity data on coronavirus testing patients and their health outcomes. See, got to prove America's racist. Got to prove that the virus, in fact, may be racist. You know, the... You know, HIV was the first virus to acquire civil rights. You remember that? It had HIV. For those of you that, that missed the program yesterday, we're going to review the, the way we dealt with the HIV virus and the AIDS back in the 80s compared to the way we're dealing with it today. I did it yesterday. It was a, uh, it's a, it's a very teachable moment. Um, but, but, but HIV slash AIDS was the first virus to have civil rights. It, it, it it, it just did. And if you're confused what I mean by that, uh, I'll explain it as the program unfolds. But now these uh, here's Focahontas, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris demanding the federal government release daily race and ethnicity data on coronavirus testing patients and their health outcomes. So they want a database to prove that we are not caring enough about African-Americans. That we're not worried enough, that we're not concerned enough, that we're not treating them enough. This is what they want to be able to document because the race card has now entered the coronavirus story. Now, to date, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has only released figures by age and gender. Legislators, civic advocates, and medical professionals say that the information is needed to ensure that African Americans and other people of color have equal access to testing and treatment and also to help to develop a public health strategy to protect those who are more vulnerable. So, oh, okay, so America is already racist, it's unfair, it's denying treatment, it's denying testing, it's denying control. We need to document this. We need to prove this. So in addition to everything else that you are being forced to digest on this every day, you're now going to have to accept the fact that your country is inherently racist and mean-spirited and unfair. Because African Americans are hardest hit and nobody is going out to test them. Uh, Nobody is going out to uh, treat them, so forth. 
and so on. So we have more model movement today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, projected coronavirus deaths in the United States lowered this morning by another 25% from 81,000. This is the uh, Washington State model, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, the Chris Murray model, IHME. This has been the lead model from the get-go. This model is why we've done what we've done, plus the the model from... uh, the UK, the Niall Ferguson model, I forget the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, that's the model that uh, predicted 2.2 million if we didn't do anything. And then they revised, uh, no, no, yeah, uh, 2.2 2, 2 million US, 500,000 UK if we didn't do anything. And they re- then, then they factored social distancing into the model and the numbers went down to 20,000 from 2 million. So that model has been used as well. Uh, but now projected. Coronavirus deaths, coronavirus deaths, U.S., lowered by 25% early this morning. So the new number gone down from 81,766 projected coronavirus deaths to 60,415. Wednesday's dramatic reverse in the model's projection of U.S. deaths was made without a press release from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation explaining the reasons for the reduction. They just lowered the prediction projection. They didn't tell anybody why. It marks the second reduction in the model's U.S. deaths projection since April 1st when it forecast 93,000 U.S. fatalities. Now down to 60,000. What happened to 240,000? What happened to 100,000 to 200,000? What happened to 204? Now this model is predicting down to 60,415. Again, a 25% reduction in the models released just this morning. Now there's something, folks, that I raised last Thursday on this program. I had a column here by... A doctor in the UK, Dr. John Lee, standby audio soundbites number one and two. And the title of his piece, How Deadly Is the Coronavirus? It's still far from clear. This guy was the first to raise the possibility that a lot of people are dying from things other than COVID-19, but that their deaths are being chalked up to COVID-19 anyway. This is how I described it last Thursday. There's a great speculative piece today that I came across for the UK Spectator by Dr. John Lee. He's a pathologist, a statistician, he's a qualified doctor, and he has written a piece, How Deadly Is the Coronavirus? It's Still Far From Clear. We've got massive speculation going on out there, and this guy is weighed in with his, and his He's got many points here. One of his primary points is, how are we reporting coronavirus deaths? In other words, let's say that in any given, let's use the UK since it's where Dr. Lee is from. Let's say 50,000 people a day die in the UK anyway. There are methods on the books that are a matter of law for how deaths are reported. Not just the UK, but here. And he's concerned that with this new arrival of COVID-19, that coronavirus is being listed as a cause of death 
for many people who are not dying because of it. They're dying because of other things. Now, I, I, the 50,000 number, I just chose it as random because it's easy to follow. It's nowhere near that high, the number of people that die every day in the U.K. Um, I just I just chose the number to use it because it's easy to remember. Now, have you heard, oh, ladies and gentlemen, that in New York and, of course, other places, there is a shockingly low number of deaths reported to have occurred because of other reasons, like heart and cardiac arrest deaths are way down. Um, other standard, ordinary ways that people die every day are way, way down in New York. And the doctors are scratching their heads trying to figure it out. What's happening? And they're coming up with all kinds of wild guesses. Well, maybe people are dying in their homes, and we don't know why. Maybe they're not going to the hospital with whatever has befallen them, such as coronary failure, heart attack, whatever. Maybe they're just... No. What, what is happening is that as many deaths as reasonably can be are being chalked up to COVID-19. And at yesterday's briefing at the White House, Dr. Deborah Burks admitted that we are doing exactly what I just described. There are other countries that if you had a pre-existing condition... And let's say the virus called you to go to the ICU and then have a heart or kidney problem. Some countries are recording that as a heart issue or a kidney issue and not a COVID-19 death. Right now, we're still recording it. I mean, the great thing about having forms that come in and a form that has the ability to mark it as COVID-19 infection, the intent is right now that those, if someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting that as a COVID-19 death. That word with is a key word. If you die with it, but not because of it, they're still counting it as a COVID-19 death. If you die due to COVID-19, it's a COVID-19 death. If you have it, but die from something else, they're still chalking it up as a COVID-19 death. And she admitted that. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. All right. Now, folks, I want you to listen to me here because this is this is very important. I'm going to run through this. I've got limited time. I'll, I'll, I'll do it again after the break at the bottom of the hour. I want to start with the original projection from both the Imperial College and the IHME, 2.2 million people dead. If we don't do anything, that was their projection. They put the number out there. It's a, it's, it's a number we can use because they put it out there, and that was the starting point for all of this that's befallen us since. This morning, they revised their number of projected deaths to 60,000. That is a reduction of 90% from the 2.2 million number. But what else? Does the number 60,000, 60,000 deaths, does that resonate with any of you? Does the number 60,000 mean anything to you? Well, let me tell you what it is. 60,000 is the number of deaths due to the flu every year in this country. It's between 30 and 60,000. So the very projections from the modelers who have 
given us our current circumstances, including the lockdown, have now reduced their original projection, 2.2 million, down to 60,000. That's a reduction of 90%. That is, do you realize how worthless a model is if you can input different data and get that wide a variance? But this is what the government's using. reduction from the original 2.2 million. It's their number. President Trump used it. Burks, Fauci, they all used it for a while. On purpose. It was to get everybody going on social distancing and mitigation. Now the latest projection today, 60,000 deaths equal to the number of flu deaths. Hmm. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, at 60,000 flu death number was 80,000 in 2018. 2018 article, 80,000 people died. It's going to be 2017, 2017 winter season. 80,000 people died from the flu. Now, Now, before you all start getting on your high horse, I understand the difference in the flu and this thing. I understand that we've got vaccines for various strains of the flu and that we've all as a society become accepting. We've, we, we accept whatever it is, 30,000, 60,000, 80,000 deaths from the flu every year. We expect it. And it's just like the number of people we accept dying in automobile accidents. I understand that these projections and the coronavirus are based on everybody quarantining, essentially, social distancing and all of that. Because we don't have treatment and we don't have a vaccine and we don't have widespread testing. So I understand the difference. I'm just I, I'm trying to make the point here that we start out with a number of 2.2 million to scare the hell out of everybody. And it's used and it's used by the experts, the officials. They put it out there and it's from a model. Imperial College, if we do nothing. The corresponding number in the U.K. was 500,000 deaths if we do nothing. My point all along, the number was irrelevant. We should have never used it because we never were going to do nothing. We we immediately instituted the lockdown, social distancing, and whatever, mitigation, as the experts like to say. And so that's when the numbers began to become 100,000, 200,000, 240,000. So even if you if you throw out the 2.2 million and stick with anywhere from 100,000 to 240,000, now they're down to 60,000. They're going to claim, remember, these are the doomsayers. They never lose. They are never wrong. They can always claim that what they doomsayed was the reason we've had success. It's just it's the nature of doomsayers. And so they are now saying that the projected number of deaths as of this morning is down to 60,000. Now, 60,000 people die from the flu every year, 30 to 60, sometimes worse. It was worse with the swine flu, much worse, because there isn't any mitigation. People just go ahead and live their lives. If they get it, they get it. If they do, they do. And if they don't, they don't. If they, some of them get it and perish and some don't. Uh, we have never, we have not wanted to deal with coronavirus that way because there's no treatment for it. Well, other than hydrochloroquine, which the left is still attempting to ban and banish and ridicule and impugn. Uh, but there is no official test. They're coming. There is no 
certainly no vaccine. So the I, I just find it I find it fascinating that we're now down to sixty thousand deaths with mitigation. I understand this same number of deaths according to the flu. Now, in a story related to something I mentioned in the first half hour, and that is that many deaths that have nothing to do or are not caused by COVID-19 are being chalked up to COVID-19. Dr. Burks said it. She said this is the key word here. If someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting it as a COVID-19 death. With COVID-19 does not mean the same thing as because of. If you have coronary heart failure, if you have a heart attack, if you have renal failure, kidney failure, and you also have, if they find that you've got COVID-19, to heck with your heart disease, to heck with your kidney disease, they're chalking it up as a COVID-19 death. So it may well be that the number of COVID-19 deaths isn't as high as we're being told. But it's obvious there are people who want it to be reported as high because they think that'll help them with their mitigation efforts, keeping people sequestered and socially distanced and all of that. From the Daily Wire, New York City data, vast majority who have died from coronavirus had serious underlying conditions. Now, again, I don't want to be misunderstood this, is, this in no way minimizes the suffering of these people who have succumbed to this. But, but it does confirm that the most vulnerable among us are those with compromised health before they acquire the virus. Here's a pull quote. According to the most recent data from, I guess, the CDC, yes. According to the most recent data from the CDC... Almost two-thirds of the people who have died after testing positive for coronavirus have been confirmed to have one of many specified underlying conditions. Diabetes, heart disease, uh, obesity, uh, kidney problems, liver problems. While just 1.9% of the people who died after testing positive were confirmed to have no underlying conditions. Only 1.9% of the people who died in New York City were confirmed to have no underlying conditions. That's huge. So, so people that have these underlying conditions obviously need to stay home. But we're getting to the point, I would think, where we can... Begin to think about turning the rest of us loose. People who don't have any underlying health conditions. The data shows that uh, 1,623 of the 2475, 2,475 who've died after testing positive in the city had a serious pre-existing condition. Now, President Trump, it says here, looking into reopening parts of the U.S. economy, according to Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. Mnuchin said yesterday Trump's looking into reopening parts of the economy. He was uh, being interviewed by Maria Bartiromo on the Fox Business Network. Question, do you think this shutdown is going to go longer than eight weeks? Mnuchin said, Maria, I hope not. I hope we get back to the point. Everything I hear from the medical professionals 
in many places, we're close. We're close to the worst point. They're beginning to peak, and I think then things are going to get better. And I know the president's very much looking at how we can reopen parts of the economy. There are parts of the country like New York where obviously it's very, very concerning. Other parts of the country where it's not. So he's meeting with the task force and the medical professionals and getting uh, posted on this every day. Meanwhile, Larry Kudlow, the top Trump economic advisor, told Politico yesterday he believes the economy may reopen in the next four to eight weeks. The president has repeatedly expressed his desire to reopen the economy, has largely followed the advice of medical advisors who have advocated for a prolonged shutdown. Dr. Fauci yesterday at the briefing said the country should be in good shape to reopen the screws in the fall. Bottom line is no absolute prediction, but I think we're going to be in good shape, Fauci said when asked whether he thinks Skrulls will be able to start on time next year. Meanwhile, Ezekiel Emanuel, Zeke for short, the brother of Ram Emanuel and the brother of Ari Emanuel, was on MSNBC, said, what, this is crazy. We can't go back to normal until there's a vaccine. You better get used. He said, 18 months, year and a half. You better get used to it. You better get ready. You better get prepared because we ain't doing jack anything for 18 months. We can't end this until we get a vaccine, he said. We will not be able to return to normalcy until we find a vaccine or effective medication. We don't have a vaccine for HIV yet. That goes back to the, do you know that? We get treatments for it now. We don't have a vaccine. I know that's dreadful news to hear. How are people supposed to find work if this goes on in some form for a year and a half? Is all that economic pain worth trying to stop COVID-19? The truth is we have no choice, says Dr. Zeke. If we prematurely end that physical distancing and the other measures keeping it at bay, deaths could skyrocket into the hundreds of thousands, if not a million. We cannot return to normal until there's a vaccine. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to tell you, if the virus, the odds that there's going to be a vaccine, well, it's not automatic that there's going to ever be a vaccine for this. We don't have a vaccine for the flu. You realize we have flu shots, but even people who get flu shots get the flu. There isn't something you can take out there that's going to stop you from getting the flu. At least not. Am I wrong about this? Is is there a flu vaccine? Mr. Snurdly. Some strains. What, What is the flu vaccine? A flu shot? Okay, and are there people who get flu shots who then get the flu? Well, then there's no vaccine. We have a vaccine against polio. You take it, you won't get it. We have a vaccine against smallpox. You take it, you won't get it. We don't have a vaccine for the flu. We don't have a vaccine for HIV. We don't. Well, okay, we got Tamiflu. It's a prescribed medicine. I've taken it. It reduces the length of time you're on the flu, but it doesn't get rid of it. We don't have the idea that there's automatically going to be a vaccine anytime, 18 months, 12 months. We, it, it's a virus. Most, vi- how long did it take to get a polio vaccine? How long did it take to get a smallpox vaccine? 
And now you realize because of illegal immigration, open borders, and there are people coming into the country reintroducing smallpox into the Southern California community, which is putting a strain on the vaccine, if it's a new strain. But there's no guarantee there's ever going to be a vaccine. And yet here's Dr. Emanuel, and he's following along with Dr. Fauci. Well, we can't, uh, we can't really uh, return to normal until we, uh, until we get a vaccine. And there are other people saying, we're never going to go back to normal. What are you talking about? We're never going to go back. There are people saying, you may have to wear a mask every day if you go outside for the rest of your life. Anyway, let me take a brief time out. We'll come back and uh, get started on the phones. People want to weigh in right after this. Hi, welcome back. It's Rush Limbaugh. This the EIB Network. And we start on the phones of Somerset, New Jersey with David. Welcome, sir. Glad you called. Nice to have you with us. Thanks, Rush. I'm a big fan. been listening for so many years. Thanks for taking my call. You bet, sir. So I wonder if you saw the... Uh, the uh, briefing yesterday and after Trump finished, they finally got to Dr. Burks. Um, she spoke a lot about how she, in my opinion, she seemed kind of excited that this is the first time then they've been able to insert the medical professional in, professionals into our uh, economy and basically shut us down so they can do all the testing and all the other things they want to do. So my question is, well, when, what, who's going to decide what's the next disease that they're going to get to shut us all down for? It's the first time she said that they've been able to do this. And so I'm concerned. Like, so what are they going to do in next uh, winter when some other disease comes along? They're going to say, oh, we've got to shut us down again. We set a precedent. I'm, I'm nervous about that. Well, I, um, I, 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 don't, I don't blame you. Uh, I watched the briefing yesterday, but I was not doing well at the time, so I don't I don't remember that about Dr. Burks uh, expressing glee. And I'm not I'm not denying it. Don't misunderstand. I I I, I totally trust you. If she said, I'm, I'm not surprised. Uh, I I addressed this yesterday. This is one of the problems I've got with all of this. I understand these medical people. I know where they're coming from. I, but they seem to have no empathy for the pain this is causing. They're focused totally on the medical aspect, and they're, they're glee with being able to finally shut things down and stop the spread of this bug, uh, which they haven't done. They haven't stopped the spread of the bug. There are people still getting it. Um, but... This is. It, I understand why 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 you be why you be troubled by it. You know the Chinese economy never shut down. The Chinese stock market never crashed, but everybody else's around the world did. They didn't get this disease in Beijing. They didn't get it in Shanghai. You know something else, folks. It's strange. I saw. I remembered yesterday. Remembered last night. I saw videotape of the Chi-Com leader for life. His name is Xi Jinping. He was walking the streets of Wuhan. And he was waving up to people in their homes. He was acting like an elected leader out amongst his constituents, trying to comfort them. And what He doesn't give a rat's rear end. He's not elected. He's a dictator. He is a communist dictator. So he put on a show for American media, 
for American audience. Oh, look at the Chicom guy. He's walking through Wuhan. He's waving up at the people. He's assuring the people. The thing I noticed, he's in Wuhan. Wuhan is... Ground zero for this. He's wearing a simple little blue surgical mask. Are you telling me that the leader of the Chinese Communist Party is going to go walking through Wuhan, the ground zero for this soup, wearing just a mask? This guy should have been decked out in a hazmat suit. So why wasn't he? Well, okay, maybe it wasn't Wuhan. Maybe it was a planned community outside in Beijing, suburbia. No, that's not the... May, no, maybe the Chicom leader knew he was safe. Remember, we also saw this clown on videotape some months ago in a hotel, what looked like a hotel ballroom with a bunch of his communist minions standing behind him, and they all had blue masks on. And he was talking to coronavirus patients in Wuhan who were on TV. He was talking to a TV screen. He was not in a room with any actual patients, and he was wearing a mask talking to a TV screen. Now, I don't know, but I don't think TVs spread the virus. That was the most amazing thing. Wearing a blue mask and all of his communist subordinates wearing a blue mask out there, talking to a single patient on a television screen. And we were told that it was in in Wuhan. I am up against it. By the way, the CDC calls their flu shots vaccines. Look, if it's a vaccine, then you're not going to get it. And 60,000 people still die. People who take the flu shots, they get it sometimes. Uh, maybe they don't die from it. I don't know. I don't have seen the stats on that. Gotta go. Quick time out. Back with more in a minute. Man, that hour went by fast. So they all go by fast here on the EIB network. It's the fastest three hours in media. We have a uh, little brief obscene profit timeout. Your local affiliate tell you what's going on where you are. And then we'll come right back here and resume right where we left off. Hey, greetings. Welcome back. Great to have you. Rush Limbaugh, America's real anchorman and truth detector, as well as a doctor of democracy, all combined to one harmless, lovable little fuzzball bundle. Happy to have you with us. A telephone number, if you want to be on the program, 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. Do you need a polio shot every year? Do you need a smallpox shot every year? No. Do you need a flu shot every year? Yes, if you believe in them and take them. Why? Because they're not a vaccine. The CDC may call a flu shot a vaccine, an annual vaccine on their website, but I remember when I was in in grade school, they came up to me with about this a first grade or second grade and had a little little tiny little plastic cup with a sugar cube in there. And they got an eyedropper and they dropped a drop of something on it and made me eat the sugar. All of us. And that was the polio vaccine. Or smallpox. I, I, for, I forget which. And I've never had to take it again. 
never had to take a smallpox or polio vaccine ever again. But you people who do who believe and take flu shot, you got to get them every year because there's a new strain, and and, and everybody does their best uh, to come up with a. Uh, protection against that. The, the only folks, the only reason I'm making a point about the, you know, words matter to me. Words mean things. We don't have a vaccine for the flu, and everybody's out there talking. About, we can't go back to normal. Leave our homes. Reopen businesses until there's a vaccine. <sighs> that could be never. It could be never. Right, right now, a vaccine for this, 18 months down the road, is pie in the sky. It's a great objective, and it's an admirable goal. Now, let me remind again, for, for some of you who were either not alive back in the 1980s or were too young to remember the HIV-AIDS controversy when it happened, I want to explain it to you, and I want in the process to illustrate the stark differences in the way we dealt with that and the way we're dealing with this. When HIV-AIDS hit, came out of nowhere, and what it did was essentially, it was acquired immune deficiency syndrome, meaning you got it, and it destroyed your immune system. You were unable to fight off any disease that came along. You had to go into the bubble. It was spread, originally reported spread, by gay male sex, dirty needles, or tainted blood in blood transfusions. At the time, look, this, everybody who got this disease for 10 years died. Certainly the first five. Everybody who got it died. There was a palpable fear all over this country. The original reporting was that it affected a small subset of the American population. If, if people were donating their own blood to hospitals in advance of maybe needing a transfusion down the road. Uh, so dirty drug needles, tainted drug needles and gay male sex. Well, that couldn't stand. So immediately... The news media and others began to say that, hey, it's not restricted to the gay population. It's going to jump to the heterosexual population. It's going to happen. And it's going to be, HIV will be spread via heterosexual sex. Media was all over it. Everybody warning, is this going to happen? Because politically, it could not stand. It could not be allowed to stand that it affected only that small subset of the American population. Well, it never did. It never did jump to heterosexual sex. There was talk during all this of quarantining everybody who came down with the disease at first because there was massive uncertainty about how it was spread. Could it be spread by casual contact? Could it be spread... By breathing, talking like other viruses are spread. Pulmonary viruses, sneezing, coughing, this kind of thing. The minute that a quarantine was suggested, oh man, you, you should have been there. 
the people suggesting quarantine were were homophobes. They were bigots. They were racist. It was not going to happen. No way, Jose. Wasn't going to happen. You shut up. Talking about a quarantine. This is why I said that HIV was the first virus to have its own civil rights. So the political aspect of this needed somebody to blame. How did this happen? Where'd this get started? Nobody knew. Scary as it could be. So they blamed Reagan. They blamed Reagan for the spread, not the origin. They blamed Reagan for the spread because he never talked about it. They said, Reagan doesn't care. Ronald Reagan doesn't care. Ronald Reagan's not talking about it. If Ronald Reagan would talk about it, we could do something about it. Which led people to say, you mean Ronald Reagan singularly has the power to stop this by simply talking about it? It was absurd. But they needed they needed somebody to blame. And as always, they needed a conservative Republican to blame. And so Reagan got blamed for not caring, for being a homophobe himself, for not caring enough about the gay community. If he would talk about it and raise sensitivity and awareness to it, then we'd realize that everybody's in this together. And But he didn't, and so they... But I, the, the point is... 40 years ago, a, a, and, and everybody who got it for a number of years died. There still is not a vaccine for HIV, which is the virus that causes AIDS. Still no vaccine for it. There are now treatments that, that prolong life for people who um, come down with it. It's, it's not the death sentence that it used to be. But there's no vaccine. Now, when people were suggesting a quarantine, <laughs> now we have coronavirus and we have social distancing and we have quarantining and we have any number of other things and there's nobody opposing it. Everybody's agreeing with it. Everybody's supporting it. And we know much less about it than we knew about AIDS. It's, we know that it's not as lethal as HIV. Because not everybody you get. Uh, apparently, the recovery rate for coronavirus is ninety eight percent. Does that does that surprise you? Do you wonder why, in all of the statistics about coronavirus, we're never told about survivors or recovery rates? Uh, it took a long time to get any actual data on hospitalizations. Just remember at the outset, oh, my God, we're not going to have enough hospital beds. Oh, gee, we need the Navy ships. We need a hospital building for Central Park, a Javits Center. We need to turn it into the... Uh, no, the hospitalizations are, are going down, as, as well as the projections from the modelers. By the way, why is it... And this is, just, this is a question, it's, it's a rhetorical question. Why do the modelers get to revise their predictions and other people don't? Why do you not get to go to a Vegas sports bar? I didn't mean to lay that 5000 bucks on the Steelers. I, 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 I want to change my... Why do you not get to change your prediction? But the modelers get to change their prediction willy-nilly. They get to change what data they put in, what data they take out, they come out. So here's where we are with the latest model projections if you're just joining us. The original, from both the uh, Imperial College projection, the IMHE, which is State of Washington... That number, 2.2 million. 
was the first number used, and that was if we did nothing. In the U.K., 500. You know what? The, the U.K., as of five days ago, the projected deaths in the U.K., had the original number there was 550,000, and their range now is 7,000 to 20,000 in the U.K., in America, we started with a projection of 2.2 million, and now the latest model projections today, this morning, forecast 60,000 deaths, which is very close to the number of people who die from the flu every year. And 60,000 deaths is a 90% reduction in the 2.2 million projected deaths at the outset. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oprah Winfrey was out saying 25% of the heterosexual population would get AIDS. Oh, that, that, that was a linchpin of, of defending it. That, that it was going to jump to the heterosexual community. It was going to be, you better get serious about it. And it never did. Um, Donald Trump says he'd like to see the economy reopen with a big bang, but acknowledges it may be limited. Now, this is a story from The Hill yesterday. President Trump said Tuesday night that he would like to see the entire U.S. economy reopen with a big bang, acknowledge it'll be difficult to manage as certain parts of the country grapple uh, with the with the outbreak. And let me see. Let me look here at the... Uh, uh, well, I'm looking at the audio soundbite roster just to see what I've got here. Yeah, okay. Um, he said, I'd, he was on at Hannity last night. He said, I'd love to open with a big bang, one beautiful country and just open. We're looking at two concepts. We're looking at the concept where you open up sections, and we're also looking at the concept where you open up everything. And then it says here, the, the decision will largely be out of Trump's hands. Governors nationwide, it'll determine when restrictions in their states that have shuttered non-essential businesses will be lifted. Meanwhile, the Chicoms have lifted and ended the 10-week lockdown of Wuhan. But you have to show that you're healthy. You have to show you have been in contact with anybody who has the virus if you want to leave Wuhan. They ought not be allowing anybody to leave Wuhan. And once you do leave Wuhan, your new destination may require you to self-quarantine for 14 days and be tested twice. Well, guess what? When the Chicoms lifted the 10-week lockdown of Wuhan, 65,000 people fled the scene. 65,000 guys. Where did they go? We don't know where they went. They left the city by train. They left the city by plane. Highways, bridges, tunnels also opened, allowing thousands more to exit by car and bus. Meanwhile, Norway, Denmark, the Czech Republic, and Austria are going to relax coronavirus lockdown restrictions in the coming days. For instance... The, uh, the screwels are set to reopen in Denmark on April 15th, a week from today. Norway will do so five days later. Even Austria, which shares a border with Italy, is going to reopen on April 14th. And the Czech Republic looking to reopen more stores starting this Thursday. Even Italy is lifting 
some of its restrictions. Some Italian businesses could reopen in mid-April, according to Bloomberg News. Let me get some phone calls in before the break of the first hour. We'll start with the Ken in Portland, Oregon. You know, Oregon is a fascinating place because the virus compared to elsewhere in the country is not even there statistically. Hi, Ken. Great to have you with us. How are you doing? Make a diddles, Rush. Um, great to be able to talk with you today. In Oregon, of the 765 people that have tested positive for COVID-19 under the age of 60, only one person has died. After this current safe distancing phase is complete on May 1st, why can't we shift to a policy in which the stay-at-home approach is lifted for everyone except those that self-identify as having underlying conditions? Well, you know, my, if I had to wild guess answer, I, I would say that no state wants to be alone and first. Understood. I, I just think, you know, we're, we're already quarantining ourselves. We're sensitive to our parents, um, um, people that are have underlying conditions. We're already doing it. I think that would continue and we could still open up the economy um, because young people are, you know, recover so easily from it. And I think even if we continue forward with our current restrictions, we're still going to be self-quarantining anyways. So why not open it up, still being sensitive to those with underlying conditions, and they'll be self-quarantined. We'll be very careful about how we approach them. I, I just... I'm just thinking it's too complicated. They're making it too complicated. Well, you you, you mentioned self-quarantining. You think people still going to be doing I want you to listen to something with me here. Ken, grab audio soundbite number 23. Uh, we have here a soundbite from just this afternoon from CNN. John King speaking with Johns Hopkins, Bloomberg School of Public Health Infectious Disease Epidemiology Professor. What a title. Let me run that by you again. Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health Infectious Disease Epidemiology Professor Emily Gurley about the coronavirus pandemic and reopening the economy. And this is what John King of CNN said. We asked this question in our new poll. Would you feel comfortable returning to routine if social distancing ends at the end of the month on April 30th? 37% of Americans said yes, they would feel comfortable. Six in 10 Americans said no, they would not feel comfortable. The president himself ambitiously saying we need to get the country open as soon as possible. You think that would be a tragic mistake? I think that we have to go with what the evidence says. Until we have something better in place nationally to track infections and stop the spread, we've got to stick with what works, even though it's a huge sacrifice. And 60%, you hear this, 60% in their poll don't feel comfortable reopening on April 30th. So even if things were opened in certain places, like you say, people are still going to self-quarantine. 60% according to CNN don't feel comfortable reopening on April 30th. Would you go out? If they if they lift things, what would you do? Uh, I would go out. Um, I'd, be, I'd still practice safe dis- distancing. Um, I'd be careful about being um, in too packed of a crowd. But um, I would continue on. And I'm really more concerned about the economy and all the people that are being impacted by the economy. I, have the, I have, let me ask you, you know, like this, this babe here, uh, Emily, uh, Emily, uh, Emily, uh, Emily Gurley. It took me two lines to read the title. None of these people seem concerned about the economy, which is people and their livelihoods. 
that's the, the empathy for that doesn't seem I know they've got one job and that's their health expertise and so forth but it just it continues to frustrate well, me Rush, hey thanks a lot for bringing up this aspect of the equation the economy and all the people that are being impacted that thanks for Leading that discussion. People are being ruined. I know. I I hate. People are being destroyed. People are being ruined. Anyway, I got to go. I'm I'm a little long. Ken, thank you so much. We will be right back. I'm getting uh, some emails. Rush, sounds like you're holding back a little bit when you discuss what went on with HIV and AIDS in the night. Well, hell yes, I'm holding back. Look, there are a couple other things I can tell you, and it's just this. It's it's. It's 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 the history of it. Everybody was scared to death when this first hit. It it could not. It was it was not permitted that the only way to get this disease was through a certain kind of behavior. That was not politically that was not going to fly. And the, the, the sad fact was that it was behaviorally spread. There was one way to get it, anal sex, and and it's it's sad, but that's that's what it was. But that was we couldn't have that. So they 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 the dirty needles came later, and the and the blood transfusion that people did get AIDS, the HIV virus, from uh, from blood transfusions. And people were donating blood long before anybody knew this had happened. There was tainted blood. There was no way to test it. And there were people who went in for, for surgery, needed blood transfusions, and they succumbed. Those were not behavioral-related deaths. So they were, they were highlighted as you can get it, anybody can get it. There was even an attempt. There was a thought, there was a fear that, that you could get it by kissing. Bodily fluid transfer from kissing. And yeoman's work went into disproving that. Because if that had been the case, why, we would have started sequestering people faster than you can say lickety-split. And so a lot of great work was done to, to, to demonstrate that it was not spread by kissing. The uh, swapping of bodily fluids, shall we say. But it was at first thought to be a dangerous thing. And they were telling us it's going to jump. It's going to jump to the heterosexual community. Nobody is safe because it could not be. It just was not permitted to be a virus that attached to only one form of behavior, even though it was. But everybody was terrified. And everybody was terrified on purpose. It was made political. Now, here's the thing. Back when this happened, the gay population was, at the time, said to be 2% of the overall population of the country. Which meant that, behaviorally, 98% of the population was not at risk. But again, nobody knew that because of the intense pressure uh, to, and it was a warning too. What if it did jump? You know, nobody knew at the time. What if it did jump, and heterosexuals could acquire it? That, and it, for a long time, it was a possibility. It was a, it was advanced politically, but it was a possibility. But the at the end of this, uh, after a number of years, 
And by the way, we never shut down one thing. We did well. We shut. They tried to shut down the bathhouses in certain cities, and even that was opposed. There were others who suggested that we quarantine people who come down with it because we weren't yet certain how it was spread. That was opposed. There wasn't any social distancing. There was no quarantining. There was nothing. And the guy leading the effort was Dr. Fauci. It was this period of time that made him a national figure. It put him on the map. But I remember everybody was terrified. So back then, 98% of the population turned out to be, even though it was not known at the time, not at risk. The political aspect of this was created specifically to battle that fact, to create doubt about that fact. But it remained true that 98% behaviorally were not susceptible. Today, 98% According to Bill Bennett and his column on Monday, 98% of people who get the Wuhan flu, the Wuhan virus, survive it. For the most part, and I'm sure there are exceptions, children don't get it. Forty years ago, no shutdowns, there were no quarantines, there was no social distancing, there was no nothing. Today, we're all locked down in our homes, in some places under threat of fine and arrest. We are today totally dependent on the government for money and loans. In a political sense, Mr. Snurdly, I know you're going to be crying about this. The idea of the GOP and even conservatism being linked and aligned with small government is gone. Bye-bye. And it's gone for our lifetimes. You understand this? The concern for spending, bye-bye. Because it's the only way to survive now. Money we don't have being printed is the only way people can survive, because otherwise they are being wiped out. Uh, You know, folks, you are the people that make this country work. You are the people, get up every day, go to work, do what you do, that create the $22 trillion economy. Once the government gets obstacles out of your way, like happened in the past three years. You know, during the Obama years, I'm not kidding you. You you may have forgotten the decline in economic growth was planned for and hoped for as part of moving the United States into this globalist community. And so economic growth of 1% every year was, we were told that's it. We were told America's best days are behind us now. And some of those best days we didn't even actually deserve because we had been mean people. We had stolen resources from other nations. So now it's time to pay the piper. And Obama and his economic team are talking about how we need experts now to manage the decline. We need to lower our expectations. The presidential campaign 2016 comes up. Trump goes out to Ohio. I'm going to bring your jobs back. I'm going to bring your jobs back from China. Obama goes, what's he going to do? Wave a magic wand. What's he going to do? You can't bring those jobs and not come back. Obama went out and talked to people. Your jobs are not coming back. They did come back, as well as a whole lot of other things came back. In three years, it's all gone. 
The people of this country created a $22 trillion account. The government's about 19% of that. 19 to 22% of GDP is government spending. The rest of it is you. And that's gone now. And there's no way the government can create, recreate economic prosperity of a $22 trillion economy by printing money and giving it away or loaning it out. Just not possible. So, Mr. Snurdly, how long do you think this is going to go on? No wrong answer because I'm not going to hold you to it. I just want to, how long do you think the current set of circumstances with the social distancing and you better stay home and you can't go to work and you don't only essential business, whatever, another month? Dawn, what about you? How long do you think it's going to go on? May. That would be another month. Brian, you even thinking about it? You're going to come back in May. Okay. All right. Fine. Well, let me take a brief. No, we got. To, I got time to squeeze a call in here before we go to the break. Scott in Greenville, South Carolina. Glad you waited. It's great to have you with us. How are you? Rush, you, don't, you may not feel great, but you sound fantastic. Thank you, sir, very much. Listen, our, our governor gave us his uh, latest mandate yesterday to uh, uh, go to work and stay at home. And during the press conference, said the reason for this is because the numbers bear it out. Wait, 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 wait. I misunderstood that. Your gover- governor gave a mandate to go to work and stay at home? Yeah, go to work and then stay home. But don't go anywhere else. Oh, That's you can go to work, but then you got to yeah. go right back home. Right. Yeah, so you yeah, can't go to the gym. You can't. You no. can't. Right. Okay. No, they closed the gyms down uh, weeks ago. And so... He says the numbers bear it out. Well, there's been 2,400 cases in South Carolina, 51 deaths. That's 0.0215%. Yeah. If they did their own math, the numbers have been going down. Yeah. At, at the same time, they say we think 16 to upwards of 40,000 people are infected in the state. Yeah. Well, do the math. If it lets you use 16,000, that's 003 I mean, the numbers are getting better, not worse. Yeah, but if 40,000 are infected, how many of them know it, don't know it, are spreading it, are asymptomatic? Maybe they don't, and it's been going on for a while. But to date, we have 51 deaths. So let's just assume that there are that many more people infected. Then the death rate number is going down, not up. Well, that'd be true, yeah. If you got that many people who have 40,000 and the death rate is, the death toll is yeah. 51. Yeah, and, and of, all, of the 51, the very large majority of them were elderly with, with other conditions. Yeah, so, exactly. That's the way it is everywhere. Look at the numbers. They, they don't bear out. The numbers are getting better, not worse, but the, they just keep hyping it up and terrifying people. And so now this is the latest mandate. Not sure what the next one will be. Uh, this one is supposed to last and through the 15th, and, we'll see, and then he'll start over again because they're good for 15 days. But, I, you know, I just thought you would you find it interesting if you look at these numbers, you know, they, they, they play out in almost every scenario, you know, except for maybe the worst-case areas like Italy or, or you know, uh, you know, well, Italy is uh, Italy is getting ready to reopen some things. The Czech Republic, yeah. Austria, they're all getting ready to reopen. Norway. Yeah. Listen, we'd be better off if we would just get back to business as usual. Yes, more people will be infected, but we're going to find that when the when the when the dust settles, that the the, the mortality rate is going to be way below one percent. Yeah, well, you know what? 
I remember the first day I was gone when a lot of this first happened. The first day I was back here, that was a rough day. I got better as the hours went. The first hour was rough. The second hour got better. The third hour got better. I remember focusing on the models, comparing to the climate change models, and expressing grave concern that everything we're doing here is based on a bunch of models. I mean, there, folks, do you realize there isn't any hard evidence of man-made climate change to this date? Everything we've done about that is based on computer models and predictions for 20 years down the road, 30 years. And they've been making 20-year predictions since the 1980s. None of it's come true yet. It's been totally politicized. So if that has become the standard for modeling, oh, no, we're using modeling for this. And then I said, what I expect the big debate is going to be when this is over, whenever it is, is we're going to ask ourselves, was any of this necessary? Was this shutdown necessary? Did we punish ourselves like this for no reason. And the doomsayers are out there and they never lose. And I don't I don't mean it's a conspiracy. The doomsayers come out and they warn you, 2.2 million deaths. That's doom, right? And then we come in at 60,000. Doomsayers, see, we saved you. We told you to not see anybody. We told you to stay at home. Social distancing, we saved you. No, you scared the hell out of everybody unnecessarily. The doomsayers never win. The people like me, the mayor of Realville, who try to interject literal reality. And, oh, we are called cold-hearted, insensitive, not paying attention all. That's the exact opposite. But the debate is we're going to have a debate over whether this was necessary. I don't know when it's going to happen. And I can tell you how that debate's going to go. Because everybody involved in this shutdown is never going to say they made a mistake. From the White House on down. So we already know what the outcome of that debate's going to be. But it's going to be a debate that will it'll happen in think tanks and places like this. Uh, oh, I see the clock. Got to take a break. Thank you, uh, Scott, very much. We are coming right back. Don't go away. Now look at this. We have a story here from the Associated Press. CDC considers loosening guidelines for some exposed to the virus. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is considering changing its guidelines for self-isolation to make it easier for those who have been exposed to somebody with the coronavirus to return to work if they are without symptoms. So meaning if the CDC can prove that you have some kind of immunity, they're thinking of letting you out. The Public Health Agency, in conjunction with the White House Coronavirus Task Force, is considering an announcement as soon as today, Mike Pence said. Under the proposed guidance, people who are exposed to somebody infected would be allowed back on the job if they have no symptoms. They test their temperature twice a day. And if they wear a face mask, said a person familiar with the proposal under consideration. This person was not authorized to publicly discuss this because it hadn't been finalized and uh, described the proposal under the condition of anonymity. The, uh, the new policy is aimed in particular at workers in critical jobs, but it also comes as the Trump administration is eyeing what it calls a stabilization in infection rates and looks 
toward rolling back some of the restrictive social distancing guidelines and restarting the stalled uh, economy. Okay, here's Darren, Darren Jacksonville, Florida. Hi, great to have you on the EIB Network. Hello. Hey, how's it going? I was just calling uh, to make a little point uh, with regards to Boris Johnson. Yeah, he was one that was really speaking out against China back in March. He March 29th, he said, this is going to cause us to get back to the drawing board with discussions with regards to trade. And he was really calling out the leadership there saying, hey, we can't really trust them. And it just seemed very convenient for China that now he's in ICU. Okay, so um, your theory is that Boris Johnson calls out the Chicoms as being responsible for this, says we got to go back to the drawing board. We may necessarily want to keep trading with these people, with these schlubs. He's calling out the Chicom leadership, and now all of a sudden he's in ICU with the uh, with the vice. So the Chicoms found a way. You're thinking to well, I, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it, it, it spread through the over the seas. Well, how did they? How would the Chicoms get to him? How would they do it? How would the virus get? How would they get the virus from them to Boris Johnson? There's no. Well, I mean, I'm sure there was a, an avenue that you, you'd have to explore. The who's been in contact with him? Where has he been? Yeah, obviously he has had phone calls with the Chinese leadership back in February, but that wouldn't have done anything, but it just seems convenient for China. Well, let me let me add to the intrigue. Let me add to the intrigue. Donald Trump praises the Chicoms every day. Praises the Chicoms. Good friend of mine, Xi Jinping, a trustworthy guy, so forth. Trump does not have the virus. Oh, folks, I'm just kidding. This up. Thanks for the call out. Whoa. I just saw a link on uh, Drudge. I didn't have a chance to click on it yet. Ivanka Trump is going to lead the administration's Small business recovery efforts. So, they're thinking about it. They're working on it. That's all a good sign. We're going to take a brief break here to the top of the hour and back to continue after this. You know how much money Crazy Bernie threw away on his presidential campaign? According to the latest calculations, FEC, all that stuff, $160 million. Just gone. Think of all the donors that believed in the guy. Think of all, I mean, they were true blue. The Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez crowd, no, they were throwing everything at crazy. It's gone. Wasted. Bloomberg did that in a day. Bloomberg's been $160 million in a day. Greetings. Welcome back. Great to have you. L. Rushbow here behind the golden EIB microphone, executing assigned host duties flawlessly. Zero mistakes. Uh, let's see. Grab audio soundbite number uh, number eight. Because I asked the staff here, they give me their wild guess on when we reopen the economy. And I didn't specify fully. I just said, when, when, when does this change? When do we start letting some people go back to work? And the general consensus among the scientists here at EIB is the end of this month, sometime in May. Well, I have for you here a media montage. Various leftists... And their projections, this is from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and this morning. Maybe in 18 months. But before then, we have got to be very careful about putting people in large groups together. I think it would be reckless. 
could be 18 months, maybe at best. This pandemic is going to play out, you know, probably over 18 months. The uh, 1918 pandemic wasn't just 1918, it went almost to 1921. We could be in the first inning of a nine-inning game. We've got 18 or more months left. COVID-19 will be here for the next 18 months or more. We cannot return to normal until there's a vaccine. Conferences, concerts, sporting events, religious services, dinner in a restaurant, none of that will resume. There you have it. That was Ezekiel Emanuel on the tail end of the soundbite. So you, you, you see, somebody throws out like Fauci. Oh, we're going to have a uh, we're gonna have a vaccine in 18 months. And every liberal dutifully follows in line. Not a single curiosity among them. Not a single divergent thought among them. They all just fall right in line. 18 months. If this goes on for 18 months, the only thing there's going to be in this country is a United States government. That's all there's going to be. There isn't going to be an economy. There isn't going to be careers. There isn't going to be going to where everybody's going to have to find a way to get paid by or compensated by the government. This can't go on for 18 months. There's no way, except that it can Anything can happen. I know people who think this is going to go on until December. After the election, after the Democrats beat Trump, then we will magically reopen. If this goes on throughout the summer and in the, and in the fall, I'm going to be really curious to see what the American people's reaction to it is. Now, the White House is obviously gearing up to get some people back to work. Uh, Ivanka Trump is going gonna, is gonna to headline the Small Business Task Force, or whatever it's being called, the uh, Small Business um, uh, Recovery Effort. So let's see, what do we have? Uh, you have a question for me? What's what? What is it? Well, you see, I'm glad you asked me that, Mister Snurdly says. Okay, after everybody gets their twelve hundred dollar check, what do these people expect people to live on? That's exactly the question. Where is the empathy for? You know, the grocery stores are open. Yeah, you're going to buy food with what? The pharmacies are open. Yeah, you're going to get your prescriptions filled with what? How are you going to fill up your car to get to these places that are still open? Now, every one of these people talking about 18 months, I guarantee you is going to get paid for 18 months. I guarantee you Thomas Friedman, he married somebody rich. He doesn't need to get paid. Zeke Emanuel's going to get paid. Fauci's going to get paid. Burks is going to get paid. Every one of these people is going to get paid. Federal government workers are being paid. It's not even a concern, and they're not even acting like it's a concern. I guess it's the... It's the central thing that bothers me. Uh... Well, I don't know what, what these, how the people expect everybody to just survive for, and I'll guarantee you this, 
Fauci and these people, they've been honest. They've told us, I will guarantee you, Burks, Fauci, they're not thinking next month. There is no way, folks. These people are thinking months and months down the road. They're thinking, they've told us, they've telegraphed it, vaccine. They're not thinking next month. So, Mnuchin, grab soundbite number, um, I guess it's, is it number nine? Soundbite number nine, Stephen Mnuchin, and this was uh, his comment about all this. I know the president is working on a date. I know he wants to reopen the economy as soon as we get the appropriate all clear and things are looking good. And I know he wants to do that soon. As soon as the president gets the all clear from who? Fauci, Burke, CDC, National Institutes of Health, Johns Hopkins, who? Who's going to give the all clear? I thought the president gave the all clear. I thought the president, you know, I thought the governors can give the all clear in their states. Well, yeah, I know the Democrats have guaranteed that benefits will extend for as long as it takes. Benefits. Is that what it's going to be? Life is going to be your benefits now? Everybody's going to be. The only thing open, the only thing this country is going to be is the United States government and the people who get their benefits. And I'll, I'll tell you something. That is a wet dream of leftists and Democrats. They would love that if that's what this economy was. The United States government and you get your benefits. And then they'll nationalize as much as they can. The grocery stores, the airlines, you name it. Governor Cuomo today said there is no going back. There is no going back to normal. What there is is a new normal. No, don't misunderstand, folks. I, I, I intellectually understand what he means. My problem is, where is the desire? Where is the expression of desire? Where is the inspiration? Where is the leadership? Where is the, the can-do spirit that we can go back? We, why can't we go back to a $22 trillion economy? Why can't we go back to a roaring economy? I don't want to listen to people who tell us that'll never happen. I don't want to listen to people who say we can't do that. Because I know who those people are. They're people that don't want that to happen. Coronavirus death toll in the United States is likely worse than the numbers say. Experts say the more than 10,000 deaths is an undercount, full picture unknown. Even though the models, every one of the models used, even though those models are revising down... ABC News says that thousands of Americans have been lost to COVID-19. Death toll surpassed 10,000 this week. That figure belied a grim truth. The real number of deaths is higher. But nobody knows how much. There's no doubt the official death toll is an undercount, said New York City Councilman Mark Levine. Why is this guy an expert? New York City Councilman Mark Levine says there's no doubt the official death toll is an undercount. Who is this guy? I'll tell you who he is. He's a Trump-hating buffoon who claimed that New York City has so many deaths from coronavirus, they're going to start burying people in mass graves in parks. And that has not happened. 
He's the same guy. By the way, this guy, Mark Levine, same guy who told New Yorkers to go to Chinatown and enjoy the Chinese New Year parade. Said there was nothing to fear here. Go to your parades. Go down there. The CDC is well aware that the figures, which keep going up, do not tell the full story. It's likely that COVID-19-related deaths may not be included on a death certificate or COVID. Wrong. It's the other way around. It's that practically every death happening in New York is being chalked up to COVID-19. Dr. Burks has said so. We had the audio sound bites earlier. They're classifying everything. If you, if you die with COVID-19, you died because of it. That is what they are saying. Meanwhile... The august and revered World Health Organization says there's no need for healthy people to wear face masks days after the CDC told everybody to cover their faces. I mean, tell me this World Health Organization, folks. You know, Trump is talking about withholding money from them, and he ought to. They're a worthless bunch of globalists, just like the United Nations in mass is. The guy that runs the World Health Organization was put in place by Xi Jinping of China. And that is why this guy has been singing the praises of China from the get-go. This guy has lied to the world about the contagiousness of this disease. He, Whatever China has said about it, he has parroted it. We are the number one contributor or donor to the World Health Organization, like we are the number one contributor and donor to all of these globalist outfits. This guy is a scourge. This guy is a political apparatchik of the communist Chinese. He is not independent. He cannot tell the truth. We ought to defund and we ought to get the World Health Organization out of this equation. And Trump is saying this guy ought to resign and get the way or get out of the way. I, I, I totally agree. By the way, there's new numbers in from Virginia on the death toll from the models. This is the vaunted Washington state model, the famed now IMHE. The projections as of 10.15 this morning, the projections for deaths in Virginia dropped today to 891. These are projections and the projection of people needing uh, ICU beds, 319 and 272 ventilators. Those, I could, I could rephrase that and have it make more sense. The IHME, IMHE model projections for Virginia dropped today. They're now predicting 891 dead, 319 beds needed in the ICU, and 272 ventilators. One week ago, are you ready? One week ago, this same model projected 3,000 deaths in Virginia. They projected 918 beds would be needed in the ICU, and they projected that Virginia would need 734 ventilators. So, one week ago, 3,000 deaths, 918 beds, 734 ventilators. Today, 891 deaths, not 3,000, 319 ICU beds, not 918 and 272 ventilators, not 734. Brief time out. We'll come back and see your phone calls are next after this. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to return to something I said mere moments ago. I said, if this doesn't end, 
then this country is going to be one thing, the federal government. That's all it's going to be. Well, there's a caveat to this. The federal government can print money, as we so widely know. But you know what? The states cannot. The states cannot go print dollars. They cannot start their own currencies. They can't do anything. How do the states survive? States need to collect taxes. And who pays taxes? People who are working. If nobody's working and nobody's creating any revenue, then there's nothing to tax them on. And the states, the states are sitting on a powder keg right now. If they're not collecting taxes, they are in a state of deep doo-doo. And they're not collecting very many taxes right now. They're not collecting business taxes. They're not collecting taxes from uh, the vast majority of people who pay them, i.e. the middle class getting up and going to work every day. Federal government and Fauci and Burks can sit there all day long and talk about their vaunted social distancing and so forth. We get 50 states out there who cannot survive 18 months of this. They can't print money. They can't start passing out benefits. Federal government can, but the states can't. And many states have balanced budget amendments. It's a constitutional thing. There's all kinds of things that work here. So Mnuchin's out there saying, well, Trump is waiting for the all clear. The all clear from who? I'll tell you who needs to be waiting for the all clear is the governors. The governors need to be waiting for the all clear, and the all clear needs to come from Trump. Trump is out there talking about federalism anyway. The press is trying to trip him up. Why aren't you passing out ventilators? Why aren't you doing it? Well, the states are in charge of that. We're passing this responsibility on the states. We have federalism here. Trump's trying to explain it to him. All right, fine. You like federalism? Then go and tell the states, open up. Let the governor, you can put the onus on the governors if you want to, but you're not going to have to. Because somebody, somewhere, it ain't going to take long, some governor is going to say, you know what? We need to put people back to work. We're running out of money. We don't have any money. The only way the state government gets money is taxes. And I don't think that uh, Bill Gates and Buffett are going to run around making donations to the states. So we will see. Here's uh, here's Jacob in Cedar Falls, Iowa. I'm glad you waited. You're next, sir. Hello. Mega Rush baby dittos and prayers. Thank you, sir, very much. I am a Rush baby in the literal sense. I've been listening to you since the early 90s. I was born in the early 90s, 1991. I remember your TV show. Oh, that was a fun time, wasn't it? We were the first TV show to play liberal clips and comment on them. We started so many trends in that TV show. It it was a proud moment in Rush history. I'm glad that you were alive and kicking and able to watch it. (laughs) I wanted to make a point with Sanders dropping out, and as a highly trained broadcast listener, wanted to remind the audience of a poll that you ordered back in 2004. John Kerry, who, by the way, served in Vietnam, had secured the nomination. And you polled Democrats and asked them who they would want their nominee to be. And the results were spread all over the place. I don't think anybody got more than 12 or 13 percent. They were spread between 
You know who uh, I think Terry. did that poll? It, 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 what, I think what, what happened was, Jacob, that there was a, I think it was John Zogby back then who offered me a couple of questions on one of his polls. And that's, that's because I didn't, I'm not going to throw my money away on a poll, but if a pollster comes along <laughs> and wants to give me a couple of questions in his poll, I, and that's what I think I did. I think that's what you remember. Okay. Yes, I do. And if we took the same poll today, I think we would see the exact same thing with results spread between uh, plugs and if we could throw Hillary and Cuomo in there and Sanders, we would have complete disunity in the Democrat Party. Right. And, you know, if there's any inkling of a thought that Trump is hurt from the current situation, well, I think the Democrats are hurting more because of that. So, uh, you don't think they're going to be unified behind plugs? Absolutely not. Well, who are they going to unify behind? I think it's going to be the same thing in 2004. Kerry, uh, like Kerry got the nomination and there was no enthusiasm behind him. And like you've been saying, there is no enthusiasm behind him. Are you Clark. kidding? You've, 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 you remember a lot, but you've read John Kerry said if he'd have just gotten 55,000 more votes in Ohio, he'd be president. It was that close. 55,000. <laughs> I'm laughing myself silly. This reminds me of that guy in San Francisco. So you spot me 75 electoral votes and I can beat Reagan. Yeah, spot you 75 electoral votes. By the way, I need to make a clarification on the states. With all of this unemployment money being passed out, the states are going to be able to tax. You know, you pay taxes on your unemployment checks. States are going to get tax revenue from your unemployment checks. So they're going to be high and dry. But they aren't, they're, they're, there's, they're not going to be a lot of high-income uh, taxes being paid. But, you know, a full year of unemployment compensation, uh, most people are going to get 52 grand a year to not work the way things are currently set up, which has a lot of people worried for a number of reasons. Here's Dick in Atlanta. Hello, Dick. Great to have you, sir. Uh, thank you for taking the call, Rush. I've been listening to you for about 30 years. You're now the highlight of my day with all this stuff. Well, thank you, sir, very much. I sincerely appreciate that. And uh, My name's Vic. Uh, but, Vic. But uh, uh, what I'm calling about... Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You're, <laughs> it says Dick up there. And I... So you know, Vic with a V, like in VapoRub. Uh, I'm calling about... Uh, this is something I've never heard discussed or mentioned with all their models. This uh, we this started in January, probably the coronavirus. And I'm looking at the CDC estimates for flu deaths and what have you mm -hmm. from October until March 28th. And it is saying we have 39 million to 55 million flu illnesses. 24,000 to 63,000 deaths. These are estimates. My question is, and I talked to a nurse. She's been a nurse for 10 or 15 years. She's in New York. And I asked her if people with the flu can get coronavirus. This is my only source, so somebody else would have to investigate it. She said, yeah, when they do, it's devastating. Now, my question, underlying diseases if we have 24,000 to 63,000 estimate for deaths, 
and they catch coronavirus. How many of these people are dying from flu? How many are dying from coronavirus? Does anybody know? Are they? I'm sure at this point it's counted as coronavirus, and also with uh, their models. I kind of thought this is a couple of weeks ago when I looked at this that the death rate's going to go start going down because flu season is over. Again, we had supposedly 35 million to 55 million people running oh, they're around. Go- look, look, Vic, they're going out of their way to tell me this is not the flu. Don't compare it to the flu. It's a waste of time to compare it to the flu because they don't want you to compare it to the flu. But they're not even, you know, they're not even giving this as an underlying condition. And that's what I'm seeing is if somebody has the flu or they get them at the same time, the flu and the virus, coronavirus, they're much more liable for death, it seems like. Right. That would stand to reason. The question is, how is the death categorized? Well, here, grab somebody number two. We have the world's foremost authority telling us the truth about this yesterday, Dr. Deborah Burks, whose husband, by the way, snurdly, her husband worked for the Clintons. Her husband was an advance man for the Clintons way back. You didn't. There is nobody in that town in the establishment that does not have an incestuous relationship with some Democrat administration. No. Anyway, here's Dr. Burks during the briefing yesterday. A reporter said, can you talk about your concerns about deaths being misreported by coronavirus because of either testing or standards or how they're characterized? There are other countries that if you had a pre-existing condition and let's say the virus called you to go to the ICU and then have a heart or kidney problem, some countries are recording that as a heart issue or a kidney issue and not a COVID-19 death. Right now, we're still recording it. I mean, the great thing about having forms that come in and a form that has the ability to mark it as COVID-19 infection, the intent is right now that those, if someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting that as a COVID-19 death. Okay, Vic, but there's your answer. No matter what, if they have COVID-19 when they die, that's what it's going to be chalked up to, the cause of death. And the key word here is with. She says if somebody dies with COVID-19, that could mean you have a heart attack, but you might have had a trace of the virus. They're not going to call you uh, your death due to cardiac arrest. They're going to chalk it up to COVID-19. She's eager. She sounds excited to chalk every as many deaths as possible up to COVID-19 is the way this sounds to me. It does to me, too. I've got a lot of questions I'd like to ask you about, but I won't go into that. It's too mysterious the way things have Why happened. not? Just ask me one of them. No, well... Take advantage of your opportunity here. You may okay, never get back through it. again. I'm retired. I retired eight months ago, and I've been listening to this nonsense with impeachment this, impeachment that, uh, collusion for three, year, three and a half years. Uh, last year, I decided that... You know, I had a 401k. I wanted to get it out because they're going to find a way to crash the stock market. And uh, I took it out. I retired in August. Came along again listening to the uh, uh, last impeachment thing. Uh, And uh, Nancy Pelosi, there was speculation on this. 
it, it, the House ended in December. She had her papers, and she decided not to march them over until January. Right. What's, the, what, what's the question, Vic? Uh, the, the question is, this is just things that I've noticed, and uh, they didn't get there until January, and it was taken up the entire month. And I never noticed coronavirus myself until February after the impeachment trial. Oh, so the coronavirus. Vic, the coronavirus was out there. Coronavirus was out there in December. We were being warned about it from Wuhan doctors who now can't be found. We're being warned about it in January. Trump canceled flights from China in January. We knew about the Wuhan virus. Pelosi didn't. She was, as you say, totally uh, focused on uh, impeachment. But Vic, I just one quick question. You say you're retired. On what are you living right now? What uh, what we have from four hundred four hundred one k's and social security. Okay. All right. Just checking to make sure you're okay. Got to take a quick time out. We'll be back in a moment. Hi. How are you? Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. You know what other another big cause of death is way, way down? Pneumonia. Pneumonia deaths are way down, and that's one of the things this virus supposedly replicates. It, it, it affects lungs like pneumonia. You know, pneumonia is a lung infection. A lot of people think pneumonia is fluid in the lungs. That's not true. It's an infection of the lungs, and the coronavirus causes something similar. Uh, but, but the death rates for pneumonia are way down because everything being chalked up to COVID-19. They want the number of deaths up there. That's the only way they can justify what the hell limits they're putting on everybody here. Uh, let's see. Oh, they have a funny little here that Joe bite me. Uh, this is yesterday on the Address Pennsylvania AFL-CIO Facebook page. The Democrat presumptive nominee Joe Plugs Biden addressed union members on the second day of the 44th Constitutional Convention of the Union. <laughs> Here's part of what he, what he said. Number 14. Somebody number 14. Three, two, one. There's no better friend I have than Bobby Casey. We go back a long way. We grew up in a neighborhood in Scranton that were literally uh, four blocks away um, from one another. Same parish, uh, same schools, uh, although uh, he went to Scranton Prep. I'd gone, I'd left by that time. I was doing a, a virtual, uh, uh, almost the same kind of place I went to in, in Claymont, Delaware. A steel, little steel town. Well, it sounds wonderful. Yeah, I grew up Bobby Casey. Yeah, Bobby Casey uh, grew up in the neighborhood. The problem with this is... Biden moved away from this neighborhood seven years before Casey was born. He didn't go to school with Casey. He was seven years ahead of Casey. He never lived in the same neighborhood with Bobby Casey because Bobby Casey was born seven years after Plugs fled the neighborhood. He just makes it up. He just stands up there and stand up, Chuck. Let him see you, buddy. Get up out of that wheelchair. Come on, you can do it. Oh my God, I didn't realize he was in a wheelchair. Oh, gee, that's just oh horrible, horrible. Here's um, here's Susan Longview, Washington. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello. Hi, Rush. Um, I'm very honored to be on your show. 
um, that, you know, I have best wishes for your recovery. Thank you um, very much. Thank you so much. Um, we're praying for you. First of all, I'm not trying to be insensitive or unkind because I do care about people's lives. And I have people that are impacted by this as well. But I'm worried about the economy and the destruction that's happening. Um, so my recommendation to the president, and I know he listens to you, is why are we making a blanket coverage for everyone when we could simplify this by taking the smaller population of people that are affected, we could supplement them, isolate the ones that need to be and those that are healthy and had the virus. Are you asking why we're not means testing aid to people like we like some people want to do with Social Security and other other federal benefits? Is that what you're asking? No, no. I'm just making a point that I don't understand why we are paying everyone to stay home. Um, why can't we pay the people that are affected by the virus rather than as a whole? I mean, well, because it isn't very many. There aren't any votes if you're only paying people affected by the virus. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, I hate to say it that way. No, I, I get what you're saying. Um, if you're forcing everybody to stay home, you have to be fair and pay everybody if you're forcing pain on everybody. If you only want to pay the sick, well, okay. Okay. Then so, you can't shut down the government if you're only going to pay the sick. I mean, you can't shut down the country. And, of course, uh, the sick, uh, there aren't that many of them. I mean, given the universe. Well, I people. know. But that would help our government, you know, and at least help people to get back to work so that we can keep our economy going. I understand what you're saying. Well, what, what she's basically saying here is that we need, if we're going to start passing out, if we're going to start writing federal checks with Steve Mnuchin's name on them. And we better only send them to people who can't work, people who are sick, people have COVID virus. Well, the problem with that is another thing. We don't have a test that is widespread yet to know who exactly has it and who doesn't. And that's, you know, uh, that's going to be a big hurdle when we do get the test, when they, when they are mass-produced and, and, and able to be administered on a, on a very scaled-up basis. It's going to be a... It's going to make a difference. It's going to identify the very people that you think need to be identified. Once you can identify them, then you can command them to stay home. Or you can put them in the institution or do whatever you're... But you can, you can identify them. And you require them to sequester, so forth, and let everybody else loose. Um, and I know they, they, they keep talking about that aspect of this. And then, you're right, you could compensate those who get the virus... But there wouldn't be any need to shut down the country at that point. So there wouldn't be any need to pay anybody. Unless you wanted to. If we start paying people that get diseases. Let me say the cancer crowd is going to hear. You're going to hear from them. You're going to hear from the. You're going to hear from every disease out there. If you start paying COVID-19 patients. Then you, 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 not me. Don't misunderstand. I mean, you start doing that. That becomes a new federal benefit. Get sick, get paid. Ha! Huh. You haven't seen anything if that starts happening. Well, that's it for us today, but there's always tomorrow. And there's something, something been bothering me about all of this that I have not yet been able to verbalize. And I'm going to work on verbalizing it tonight. And that is what I fear is, uh, well, let me just... I'll try to put it all together, have it make sense, and I'll just share it with you tomorrow, okay? So we'll see you then. Thanks for being with us. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 